Shalom. This is Yehudi Falman. We're going to continue Mishle now with Perakot Zion. Al Titalel Biyom Machar Kilo Teda Ma Yeled Yom. Don't go around praising yourself about what you think is going to happen tomorrow because nobody knows for sure what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody knows what the next day is really going to give birth to. The Midrash has an example for this in Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, when he makes his agreement with Avan, says, etc. And uh, it turns out that even though they shake on this agreement, both of them end up trying to cheat on it. And the result of the whole thing is that Yaakov has to flee from Lavan's house without even announcing his departure. And Lavan goes chasing after him, and they have this whole big confrontation at the end of Parshat Vayetzeh. And uh, the point being, a person should not go around saying about what's going to happen tomorrow because they can never be sure what's going to happen tomorrow. Better that other people praise you than you should praise yourself. Now notice the first two verses of this parak both have the verb in them, halel. And this is something we have to notice. This 21st verse also does. This parak can be divided into two parts. The first part is verses 1 through 22, and a, 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 a of the alphabet, but without the acrostic. And the second part is 23 through 27, the, so that the inclusio comes from the first two verses and verse 21, which goes into 22. The same word, halel. Another point is, one of the main themes of chapter 27 is friendship and to have the proper kind of friends and what kind of the important value of friendship in human you know, relationships. And who's a true friend and who isn't? Pastor Gimel, Kovet Evan Venetel Hacho Bechas Evil Kaved Mishnehem. As heavy as stones are and as heavy as sand is, what they mean, of course, here is when sand is packed, the sar called by foolishness in this world is heavier than both of them. In other words, Tanakh does not have the word sa'ar, which we today translate as pain. When a Tanakh wants to say pain, it uses words like uh, etsev or kaas. We tend to translate the word kaas as anger, but there are many places in a Tanakh where it's better to translate the word Kaas pain, like when Hannah says to Eli, Kimirov Kaasi, etc., Dibart Yadhena. You know, in other words, you know, or Barov Kachmarov Kaas, you know, in other words, Kaev is another word, but Sa'ar is not a biblical word. So the point here being that the, the, the Sa'aralic pain that's brought into this world by fools is heavier than even the stones and, and the weight of all the sand in the sea. Ach zeriyut chema v'shetef af 
The same type of proverb as verse 3. You have two things, and then you have a progressive uh, second half of the mashal. As as hard it is to handle hot tempers and uh, people overflow with anger, nobody can stand in front of envy. I know the word kinah could also be translated jealousy. But in a Tanakh, the word kinah has several possible meanings. It could mean jealous. Jealousy in English means wanting to protect something you have. Like, you know, a jealous wife or jealous husband. Envy is wanting something you don't have. And on top of that, kinah also has the meaning of being zealous for Hashem. So we have Pinchas who was Mekaneh for Hashem. We have Rachel, who was envious of her sister Leah because Leah had children and she didn't. So Vatikaneh Rachel Ba'achota. And finally, we have Vikineh uh, which is a jealous husband over the possible lover of his wife. Tova it's better to basically reprove someone, even if there's a possibility that you might hurt their feelings. Again, this assumes friendship. Then just to go around saying how much you love them and not telling them when they do something terribly wrong. This is especially important for parents. In other words, if you see that your child does something that definitely isn't right, then don't go around acting like if you don't have to reprove the child and just say, I love you, meaning I don't have to reprove. You have to reprove. The wounds caused by someone who basically is a really good friend will last because of the fact that the person who administered them was a really good friend. But the kisses that the person who really does not like you, who dislikes you, showers you with, they may be rich and many, but they're not worth anything. This is why the Midrash has such a problem when Esau kisses Yaakov. Does that mean, is he sincere or isn't he? You know, you know, there are dots over the letters Vayishakehu to give visible, you know, statement about the ambiguity of what's going on there. Nefesh Siveya Tavus Nofet Venefesh Reeva Kol Mar Matak. A satisfied appetite will trample even on honey, meaning it will disregard even something very tempting because it's your fault. But if you're hungry, even the most bitter food will taste sweet to you. Kitsipor no dedet min kina, kain ish no deid mimakalmo. The point of this, Marshal, is that a man who wanders away from his home is like a bird wandering away from a nest. The bird will always come back to the nest, and a man who wanders from his home will always want to go back to their home. Now, 
again, this proverb has to be understood in terms of society in the days of Mishlei as distinguished from, let's say, contemporary society. The average American moves every six years. You know, Americans can't stay put, you know. Wherever they are, they always have to move on to try something else. That was not the case at the time of the Tanakh at all. At the time of the Tanakh, when a person was wandering, it usually meant that they had no home to go to. And there's a difference between a wanderer and a traveler. A traveler has a destination, and he definitely has a place to go to. A wanderer often has no place to go to. They're more like today's homeless. Shemen uketoret yisamach lev umetek re'ehu me'atza nafesh. This is another one of the friendship proverbs that just like incense and olive oil make people happy because they like the feel and they like the aroma. Ketoreth here is being used in a secular form. It means incense that people burn in their houses, not the ketoreth that you that we learn about uh, that was offered on the Mizbeach. And the sweetness of another person's ideas are, are worth more than your own idea. In other words, you should try to listen to another person's advice because that advice might be better than what you yourself are thinking to do. Re'acha v're'a avicha al ta'azov uveit achicha al tavo b'yom edecha tov shachem karov me'ach rachok This is a three-piece mashal. There's another one like this in verse 22. These are practically unheard of in the Mishlei Shlomo collection from 10 to 22. They're just a handful of them. But in the Chizkiyot collection from 25 to 29, there's quite a few of them. And also in chapter 30, there's quite a few of them. These, these are thought of as a later form of biblical poetry. And furthermore, they often include Aramaisms as you know, in Chizkiyot's time, Aramaic was already what was called the lingua franca. That means the uh, international language of diplomacy. So that, for example, uh, when Rav Shakay's messengers come to the wall to negotiate with Chizkiyot's men, they try to speak Hebrew so that people understand, but Chizkiyot's men don't want the people to understand what Rav Shakay's messengers are saying. So they ask him to speak in Aramaic. The assumption is everybody speaks Aramaic, okay? So we're going to see as we go along in Sefer Mishle, especially in the next few chapters, an occasional Aramaism. And we'll point that out when we get to it. So the point of this, Marshal, is your friend, your father's friend, make sure that you don't forsake them because they may end up being more there for you than your own brother might be. Sometimes a good friend is more there for you than a relative. And that's precisely what, you know, is don't try to go to your brother's house when you have a problem. Tov shachen karov me'achrachok. I don't think the point of this is so much geographical as situational. In other words, a person who's a neighbor who is close to you might be better than a brother, you know, or a kin who is far from you in a sense of in spirit, who's not on the same page as you, 
who basically is estranged from you. Okay, uh, you know uh, the the close neighbor might be better than a distant brother, as the JPS translates it. Now we have father to son, Chacham b'ni v'samach libi v'ashiva harfi davar. If you act wisely, my son, you will gladden my heart and make it possible for me to respond to people who taunt me. The word lecharef means to taunt, is what Goliath tries to do to David. Taunts him by saying, you little midget, and you don't even have armor, how do you think you're going to fight me? Well, it turns out that Goliath got stoned. So the father saying to the son, if you behave properly, and you basically attain wisdom, you know, people are not going to be able to go around saying, look at this father, or a rotten father he must be, just look at the son that he has. Arum ra'ah ra'ah nistar pita'im avru nanashu is ankach b'gdol ki arav zar uva'ad nachriyach alve both of these mishalim were in previous collections that we already did on the tape. You might wonder, why do they repeat them? Because they want to emphasize them. Now comes one of the most famous Mishalim in a whole Sefer. Mivarech re'ehu b'kol gadol ba'boker hashkem kilala te'chashev lo. A person who goes around greeting, you know, the word bracha in the Tanakh does not just mean blessing, it also means to greet. Like vayavarech Yaakov et paro just means that Yaakov greeted Pharaoh. Okay? You know, the word to greet in a Tanakh means levarech. It still means that to some extent. Okay, so a person who, you know, in other words, the time to start to greet your friend and to start conversations and hellos and all this other stuff is not when a person trying to get together in the morning to go to work. And worse yet is the person who doesn't let go, starts greeting, hello, what's going on? How's everything happening with you? This and that. While the other person is rushing, putting on their tie, has to get into the car, is in a big hurry. This is a klala. It's a klala for the person who does it, and it's a klala for the person who receives it. In other words, don't start conversations and greetings in inappropriate situations. They end up becoming a curse rather than a blessing. Delef toreid biyom sagrir ve'eshet midyanim nishtava. Nishtava probably means is equal to from Shavet. So what's being said here, according to Rashi, is that a woman who basically is constantly nagging is like a ceiling, a roof that leaks on a rainy day. What's the problem here? The problem, and then going on to the next verse, Sofneha Safan Ruach. In other words, on a very rainy day, the roof and the, the leaky roof leaks a lot more. After all, if it's a beautiful sunny day, there's nothing to leak. Now, keep in mind, in Eretz Israel, there is no rain at all for all practical purposes from May until September for at least five months of the year, six months of the year. So a person who has a roof that will leak in the winter doesn't have to attend to it that much in the summer. Uh, but, on a, but on a stormy day, when the roof starts to really leak and the rain's coming down, there's no way to get out of it. In other words, if you stay in a house, you get rained on. And if you go out of the house, you get rained on. That's what a nagging wife is like. There's no escape. 
Furthermore, you can't even basically try to hide it and tell people, oh, my wife is really sweet. She never nags. Because somehow or other, that's like trying to hide the wind in your house. There isn't the slightest chance that, you know, this is going to actually fool people as to what the true nature of the nagger actually is. The second half of this verse is obscure. It's, pas, it's a, you know, pasuk satum, and I'm going to let it go by. Parzel b'barzel yachad, ish yachad penei reyehu. Um, this is another one of the friendship proverbs. Um, what's being said here is just like iron sharpens other iron, the iron brought together sharpens the other iron. Rashi understands this to mean people sharpen each other by learning together in Chavruta. You learn more in Chavruta than you learn learning by yourself. Because your Chavruta basically questions you, asks you, makes you prove what it is you're asserting. And so that sharpens both you and the Chavruta together. The, the, the comparison here is the person who watches over their fig. Now, again, we have to understand a little bit about the agriculture of Eretz Yisrael. Growing figs in Eretz Yisrael means you have to keep a constant eye on them because they're the easiest fruit to spoil. There are several fruits that are well-known in Eretz Yisrael, the grapes, the figs, the olives, the rimon. But the ones that require the most care and watching are the figs. So that if you don't watch them carefully as they ripen, you're not going to end up enjoying the fruit. You're not going to be able to basically, you know, have the fruit to enjoy. But And furthermore, a person who, you know, who... who a person who, a servant who cares for their master will be honored. The poison here being, the problem with this verse is that the second half doesn't really correspond that much to the first half according to the plain Pashup shot. But the Midrash solved the problem beautifully. The Midrash says this Pasuk is specifically about Yehoshua Benun. Yehoshua Benun watched Moshe, took care of Moshe, was always there for Moshe. Anytime there's a problem that Moshe has, Yehoshua's around. So eventually, Yehoshua, who watched over Moshe, becomes himself the leader of the Jewish people. That's Shomir Adonav Yechubad. And he got that reward because he was no tzertayna. He got to enjoy the fruit, yochal pirya. Another friendship proverb coming up, 2719, kamayim ha-panim la-panim There are two ways of understanding this proverb. One is, people saw their reflections in the water. Remember, they did not have mirrors at that time. So it could be that just like you see your reflection in a mirror, you also see your reflection in, in, in talking to your friend. Because somehow or other, how your friend responds to what you say makes you realize what you're basically really saying. The other possibility is that it's just a proverb in praise of friendship, saying that the 
interchange between one person's heart and the other is like fresh water on a person's face. In other words, that's always welcome, and so too people light up when they see their friends. Sha'ol va'avado lo tisbana adam lo tisbana. Just like, you know, the grave can never be satisfied, so too human eyes can never be satisfied until they finally go to the grave. Now, the point being here that we all know that there's no limit to the number of dead bodies you can pack into, you know, into the earth somewhere. But um, there's also no limit to the number of things people can pack into their houses. You ever hear about the problem of stuff? Human beings never seem to have enough. No matter what they have, they always have to have something else. Let's go shopping today. But the problem is that you have no room to put the stuff that you're shopping because you never got rid of the stuff you already have. Somehow or other, people have it, find it a lot easier to go to a store and spend money than they, have to, they find to clean their houses out of stuff that they don't need anymore. Matsreif la kesef vuchur la zahav the ish lefi mahalalav. At the beginning, I pointed out that this is the inclusio for the beginning of the parak, back to the word halel. And what's being said here is that just like the crucible tells you what kind of silver you have, and the furnace, you know, purifies the gold, so too a human being can be tested by whatever praise they give. In other words, whatever a human being thinks about themselves is not what matters. What matters is how other people think about them. Even if you pound the fool in a mortar with a pestle along with the grain, his folly will not leave him. I'm using the JPS 1985 translation. But the translation itself is basically a guess because we don't really know what the words refolt and Ali mean. Even if we don't know what they mean, the point of this proverb is perfectly clear. The fool is not going to be gotten rid of his foolishness even if you grind them in a mortar and pestle, it's just they, some people just can't, they never learn. This puts, brings to an end the first section of chapter 27. The second section is advice to a person who's a shepherd. And it basically is very important to Tanakh because it's, that's considered in the Tanakh the number one occupation more than, let's say, farming. Why would that be? Because the farmer only has to worry about plants, which are looked upon in the Tanakh as inanimate creatures. Whereas, in fact, they're not even looked upon as creatures, really. Whereas the shepherd has to deal with creatures that have a will of their own. And that means the shepherd has to be able to guide people who have a will of their own. So, you know, the greatest figures in the Tanakh all are involved in shepherding in some way. Yaakov, Moshe, David, you know, they learned how to, when Moshe first gets the word from Hashem, What's the story with David? 
So advice to the shepherd is very germane to what the Tanakh is about. And a good shepherd has to know how to do certain things. Number one, Yadoa teda peneitzonecha shit libucha la'adarim. If you remember back in chapter 13, I think we have a statement, Yodea Sadik Nefesh Behemto. The righteous person knows how to basically see to it that the appetite of, the, of their animals is properly satisfied. Here, I think the point is more the looks of a sheep. If they look unhappy, you know, that means something's wrong. Pay attention to how your sheep look the same way you pay attention to how a person looks, because if you don't pay attention, they could get some kind of illness or something else be wrong and they die. Or worse, the illness they have will spread to your other sheep. You, furthermore, you always have to pay attention to what's going on with the sheep. We saw recently they had a film on the return of the natives that the shepherd's sheep, because he's distracted for a little while, just go over the cliff and he loses everything he owns. Ki lo la'olam chosen, v'im nezer l'dor v'dor. Chosen, again, is something of an Aramaism. It basically means, sometimes it means wealth. But I think here, and by the way, in modern Hebrew, the word machsan comes from this word. A machsan is a place you store things. A machsan is a place where in the time of the Tanakh, they would store food for a, de- a season where there wasn't easily available food. And today, it's just a place where you store anything, a storage house. What the Tanakh is saying here, what Mishle is saying is that the, the stored food doesn't last forever. And you have to basically see to it that there's something fresh available for the sheep all the time. You know, in an emergency, you can go for stored food. But as a practical matter, you better think about your grazing needs before you get, you know, before you start relying on your stored food. It may even spoil. The same point being that the, the earliest grass comes and goes. This is why you have in the Tanakh so often the statement, Adam Lachatsir Dama. You know, Yamav Katsir over there, because the earliest grass disappears very quickly in Eretz Yisrael. Then comes the next stage, and finally, notice the three different words for grass, Chatsir, Desha, and Asaf. The latter two are already present in, in the Sipur of Maaseh Breshit. The Chatsir is a much later word. But the point being, these are various stages of grass development, and without the grass, you, your sheep have nothing to eat. So you have to be sure to move them around in terms of what's available. That's why you notice, by the way, that Abraham and Yaakov are constantly on the move. Yitzchak does not seem to be much that much into shepherding. He's more of a farmer. He's an ish sadat. But remember, you know, when Rivka first meets him, where is Yitzchak? By say Yitzchak was suach pasadet, and uh, you know he also grows. By and, and Hashem blesses him, he gets a hundred times what he grew in 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 the uh, in the farm. But Avram and Yaakov are clearly involved in shepherding, and they're always on the move. How does Yosef get sold? Because 
the, his other brothers, the older ones, are off with the sheep. Where are they? Yaakov lives in Hebron. And guess where the brothers are? They're in Shechem. That's quite a long way. Now, grazing was done on, uh, you know, the, the, the way things worked in Eretz Yisrael was that any public lands and any private lands could be used for grazing unless they were being used for crops. So the result was that people could go very far away from home in order to graze their sheep. So Yaakov says to Yosef, So Yosef goes to find his brothers in Shechem, but they're not there. Somebody encounters him and tells him, They're not in Shechem. They're in Dotan, which is about 10 kilometers further west of Shechem. And that's where Yosef goes and ends up being sold. But the basic framework for that story lets you know how far people would normally range in order to graze their sheep. One of the reasons why Lot and Abraham separate is because there's not enough grazing land for both of them. Now the advice gets practical. What are some of the benefits of shepherding? Well, the shep- the, the, their food supply, you get milk from them, and their clothing supply, you get, you get wool from them, okay? And that's keeping them alive. If you slaughter a sheep, you get meat, and you get skins. So it was, you know, the wealth in the Tanakh was often looked in terms of the number of sheep, and indeed we have terms of this nature to show you how does a person get wealthy? They have lots and lots of sheep. Esau looks at Yaakov and says, pagashti. We can be sure Yaakov has thousands of sheep if he can give 550 animals to Esau as a present. Eov is said to have had 7,000. Uh, Naval has altogether 3,000. In other words, people were able, but even with just a few animals, you had a steady milk supply, a way to make butter and cheese and any other type of dairy product. And furthermore, the wool was what was used to make uh, clothing, as we're going to see when we get to Asian Chaya. And furthermore, he's saying, by having lots of atudim, which are the he-goats, the izim are the she-goats, which give milk, the atudim are valuable properties because they can be used for stud. And if you want to trade them in and sell them in order to buy land, you can do that too. So you can both be a shepherd and a farmer at the same time, which it seems quite a few people in Tanakh are actually doing. And finally, the day chalev izim lalach mecha lalechem beitecha v'chayim onaarotecha. The milk provided by your goats will be enough to feed you, to feed your house, and furthermore, to be a mechia. That's what chayim means from the bracha, like aha mechia, okay? The chayim l'na'arotecha, meaning your maidservants. This, of course, this verse is like a preview for Eishev Chayel, where you have all these words, lechem and lechem beitecha and na'arotecha, Chazal learned from this pasuk that you feed yourself before you feed the rest of the people in the household. I guess what that means is the person in the house who's responsible for providing has to basically see to it that they're healthy enough to provide for the other people.
By the way, Chazal also say that means you have to feed your animals before you feed yourself. Now that would go very well with these five verses, which are talking about how to maintain your, you know, your domestic animals. This is it for today. Shalom. We will continue tomorrow with Perek Chavchet.